I'm launching a new series called What You Can Learn From or maybe just Lessons Learned. I want to explore different businesses, different companies, people, places. I want to introduce you to techniques used by others. Borrow from them, incorporate them into your own workflow. Make them yours. Almost everything we do, we learn from others. Oh, sure, we all have a few eureka moments where we figure out something on our own, some more than others. But how many times have you flipped through a book or a magazine and seen something and, ah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I literally do this all the time. YouTube, fantastic source for new information. Now, not every episode is going to be like this. I will intersperse this uh, with your questions, uh, things that you contact me about that you're struggling with, I am more than happy to to dig into those. Um, and again, if you you have questions, please uh, contact me. I, I I love hearing from you and and helping you on your way on your woodworking journey and growing your business. That is what working at woodworking podcast is all about: helping you. Launch your business so that you can help your community with your woodworking skills. My name is Roger Kugler, and this is episode 79, What You Can Learn From Barbie? Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about Barbie. Not necessarily the movie, but rather the company, Mattel. Maybe I should have retitled this. The movie has gone crazy. My wife and my daughter and their friends all went to see it. They had a wonderful time. Hopefully you were able to escape. Maybe you had a golf game or gallbladder surgery. I haven't seen the movie. Don't really want to, but if you do, hey, go for it. My wife said it actually was very well done. It was a very good movie. Uh, Funny, and it brought back a a lot of fond memories uh, for her. Now, the idea for this wasn't really, you know, from my wife, but rather uh, ThompsonNet.com news article, uh, email. If you're not familiar with ThomasNet, this was a a company that started, I think, in the 1800s. And they were basically the encyclopedia of companies in the United States, and I actually think worldwide, before the internet, if some of you can remember that, others of you have have heard about time before the internet, if you needed a company to make something for you, a particular part, you would turn to Thomas. And Thomas was a, a great big, well, literally, encyclopedia of companies that made things, and you wanted to be listed in the Thomas Registry. That's how people found you. It was actually paper. And they continued this online. They've, they've made a very nice transition. It wouldn't hurt for you to register with Thomas. You'll probably get a sales pitch, but, you know, if you register with Yelp, you're going to get a sales pitch, you know, kind of the way of the world now. But anyway, I subscribed to their email newsletter, and this article caught my attention. Lessons from Leaders, 
Mattel's Ruth Handler. I have a link to this in the in the show notes. Really interesting story. Like so many businesses, large, huge businesses, this started in a garage. Ruth and Elliot Handler were married in 1938. Elliot was studying at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. They met at a dance in 1929. And like so many young people, um, they were struggling. Uh, he was a struggling art student uh, and a designer of light fixtures. At some point, Elliot teamed up with a with a friend, Harold Matson, and they formed the Mattel Company, borrowing the M-A-T-T from Matson and the E-L from Elliot. So the three of them, Elliot, his wife Ruth, and Matson, worked on stuff in the garage evenings and weekends because they had day jobs. They were making plastic picture frames. This was uh, around 1945. The war had ended. Plastics had really kind of, it was starting to really take off in the consumer uh, market. These had been developed during the war, you know, to, to help with war effort. And some people were really, you know, starting to incorporate these into everyday life. Elliot was one of them. And along with uh, uh, Matson, they were making these picture frames and other housewares. This was way before Mr. McGuire gave Destin Hoffman the advice in the 1967 film *The Graduate*. You know, plastics—that's where the future is. Now, in 1945, the partnership dissolved. Uh, the Handlers bought out Matson's share of the company, and Elliot, who had always had kind of a soft spot for toys, started using some of the scraps from their picture frame business to make dollhouse furniture. Hmm. Now, sometime in here, and I couldn't find the exact date, but they came out with this, this plastic piano, and it was very successful. They got like 300,000 orders for this little plastic piano, which was great. I mean, it's fantastic. And I would imagine that there was a, uh, a trade show someplace and they were showing this thing off and they were just taking orders very much the same way we, we do that today. The only problem was that when it was all said and done, they realized that their wholesale price for this product was 10 cents under their manufacturing cost for this product. Now, they could have simply not fulfilled the orders, you know, reneging on a contract. That probably would have been a death knell to them. But instead, they, in essence, paid the $30,000 stupid tax and fulfilled the orders and satisfied all of their customers. Good move, as it turns out, because we all know that Mattel is a very major, you know, company in the, in the toy industry today. Okay. Show of hands. How many of you have underbid a job? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just about every one of you. Yeah. If you haven't done that, you probably haven't been in business very long. So Ruth and Elliot 
you know, continued on to business through the 1940s and into the, the, the 1950s. Um, the magic that we know of Mattel, Barbie, didn't actually happen until 1959. In uh, 1956, the handlers took a trip to Europe and Ruth saw these baby dolls that weren't actually babies, but rather they were adult baby dolls, or they were dolls fashioned as an adult that babies could play with. That combined with Ruth's observation of how her own daughter, Barbara, played with these these paper cutout dolls of adults. Okay, how many of you folks remember the 1960s cardboard punch-outs of the Saturn V program. Remember, you could go to, to like a gas station. I think it was Golf gas station and get these, these, it was like a magazine, a, a booklet that you punched these things out and you made, you know, the lunar lander and the command module and things like that. Oh gosh, those were great. It also taught children how to manipulate, you know, motor skills, fine motor skills that I, if you have children or grandchildren, I, I hope you're encouraging them to, to do that and not just, just screen time. So anyway, Ruth got the idea that all baby dolls didn't need to be of, well, babies. And in 59, she hit upon this idea that they could use the plastics that they were, you know, so good at using by this time and make a, well, an adult version of a baby doll. And Barbie was born, and there, as they say, the, the rest is, is history. Uh, in uh, 1959, the uh, first Barbie doll sold for $3. By 2002, over 1 billion Barbie dolls had been sold worldwide. And yes, I have bought my share of Barbie dolls, although my daughter actually favored Kelly more than, than Barbie. Now, there was continuous improvements from 1959 on. The Barbie dolls became more flexible. You know, the, the feet would move, the arms would move, the head would move. Um, uh, the, the dress, the outfits that Barbie, uh, wore, you know, could change. You could buy different outfits for Barbie. Uh, accessories, uh, were developed. Um, you know, like Ken, <laughs> who's actually named after Barbara's kid brother, Kenneth. And so this was a continuous development and improvement. Um, I believe it still is. And this has left an indelible icon, you know, on the world. This has fundamentally changed, um, you know, women's lives. So, what can we learn from Barbie the company, the Mattel company? And I'll admit I took this directly from the uh, thomasnet.com article. There are five things. Number one, find the gap in the market. And quoting Ruth Handler here, my whole philosophy of Barbie was that through the doll, the little girl could be anything she wanted to be. So Ruth saw a need, a hole, something that wasn't being done in the market. So you're going to have to ask yourself the same thing. What is lacking in your area? 
Maybe it's furniture repair. Maybe it's furniture refinishers. Uh, maybe gun stock fitters. Organ repair, like musical pipe organ repair. This is where you need to let your customers tell you what they need. Oh, what's that? You don't have any customers yet because you haven't actually launched your business? Why not? Oh, my business plan isn't done yet. Or, I don't know what to specialize in. Or, my dog ate my homework. Just do it, for pity's sakes. Get it launched. No, it's not perfect. It never will be. But embrace the concept of minimal viability. Build the airplane. It may not fly yet, but at least you have an airplane that you can make fly. If you're kind of just stuck in this little rut of, yeah, I want to do this, I really want to do this, I keep listening to these stupid podcasts, do it. You can come up with all kinds of excuses. They're all going to keep you from actually doing it. And I'll give you a little hint here. Once you do it, once you launch, you are going to take a deep breath. And you're going to say, huh, well, that wasn't so hard. And then you're going to start getting business. People are going to start calling you, bringing you stuff. You're going to start making things. And in three weeks or three months, you're going to say, well, geez, I made a mountain out of that molehill. So if you're just kind of still sitting on the fence here, um, kind of a kick in the pants, you know, get moving. It's not rocket science. You can do this. Then, when you have a company, when you have a business, you can let your customer or eventually customers tell you what they need and want. But if you don't have a business, nobody can tell you what they need or want. So get to it. Not everyone wants charcuterie boards. Okay, number two, tell a story. Who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you doing this? What is special about your product or service? This is what potential customers want to know. And again, quoting from the uh, the uh, thomasnet.com story, Ruth told the story about Barbie. Quote, she created a detailed backstory of her first Barbie doll. The doll was named Barbie Millicent Roberts. She came from Willow, Wisconsin. She was a teenage fashion model. Huh, I didn't know that. You know, that kind of explains Brooke Shields. Anyway, so people want to know. If if they didn't want to know, they'd shop on Amazon. If they are buying from you, they want to get to know you. They want to know who you are. They're going to probably, hopefully, you know, spend more money with you than they are on Amazon or at Walmart. So... This is all part of the product. You are part of the product. Don't hide that story. Number three on the list was get your hands dirty. Now, this is kind of obvious for us because we're, you know, one-person workshops, and if it's going to get done, we're going to have to do it. Um, but Ruth said that even now at 77, I can say that whatever has driven me for all these years is driving me still, even at a slower pace. There's still a lot of fight in me, and perhaps the fight's the thing. Number four, 
Employ innovative marketing techniques. From the article, you don't stand a chance of developing a best-selling product if you can't market it creatively to the target audience. Speaking of targets, in 1955, Mattel had a plastic machine gun. Different times. Much, much different times. So, what would be the best place you could possibly market a plastic machine gun? The Mickey Mouse Club, of course. Yeah, I am not making this up. This came directly from the article. So, 1955, Mattel, Elliot, and Ruth paid money on the Mickey Mouse Club TV show. This was produced by Disney back in, well, probably the heyday of, of Disney. This was the really the first direct marketing to children, and we've been paying for it ever since. Apparently, this was incredibly, incredibly successful. I mean, I mean, what kid doesn't want a plastic machine gun, really? Mattel later paid a half million dollars, this is 1950s dollars, to become the exclusive sponsor of the Mickey Mouse Club. If you're not familiar with the Mickey Mouse Club, this was a, well, a phenomenon of the 1950s television revolution. I'm a little too young to really be into this. I can remember watching, I think they were reruns of the Mickey Mouse Club, um, and I, I never really got into it uh, very much. But this was huge. Anyone, any kid in the 50s would have known about the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, this was everywhere. So that half million dollars, you know, to be the exclusive sponsor of the Mickey Mouse Club, um, do you think that paid off? Hmm, yeah. Now, you're probably not going to drop a half mil on any particular marketing campaign anytime soon, but what can you do? Well, if you haven't, you should listen to episode number 10, aptly named Marketing. You know, that probably wasn't very good marketing, just naming it marketing. That's kind of boring. There's no hook there. Anyway, uh, listen to that episode. I cover some of the very, very, very basics, and I will re reiterate the very, very, very basics. Google. Google business, to be specific. If you have your business launched, or if you want to launch Open a Google business account and you will be launched because people will start finding you from this. I am continually amazed at how many first contacts I get with customers through Google business. It's, I don't have numbers to back this up, but I think it's far more effective than just a website. Um, God, I don't believe I just said that. But yeah, I really think it's true because so many people use their, their smartphones, their cell phones for things now that you don't have to go to a website to find something. Google will make sure that you see everything that they want you to see. And while you're at it, Google has a website builder that is kind of drag and drop, cut and paste. 
you're not going to be able to do e-commerce on it, but you get a really nice billboard. And you should also have your, your own URL, which, well, okay, I'm using Google now for my registrar. Uh, all of that's in um, episode 10. You know, check that out and about building your, your website. And get some business cards. This isn't Internet Technology 4.0. This is business cards. They've only been around for, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple millennia. You know, papyrus exchange between the Egyptians, something like that. Get some business cards. If you are super cheap, you can buy a pack at the office uh, supply store. And with your printer and a simple pagination system, Canva online, you can make your own business cards. You need some business cards. Number five, draw on your personal experiences. Ruth developed Barbie from her own personal experience with her children. You have experiences you can draw on too. You may have experience playing the piano, cooking, RC model airplanes. All of these can involve wood. So if you have a particular interest slash experience, just think, what could I do in this with wood? Something other than charcuterie boards. And see where you go. It could be absolutely, well, life-changing. And in the upcoming series, I hope to explore some of these rather niche, unique trades within the woodworking community. Sometimes you just don't know what is all out there. I am continually fascinated with how some people are, are making money, some making a good living in a very, very small portion or trade in the woodworking community. So that kind of wraps up Barbie. Um, some important news, some not good news. Uh, there was a recent uh, tip over accident. Uh, a small child died in, in North Carolina. Um, if you remember episode 71, uh, the end of custom furniture, where we talked about the tip over issue with clothing storage units. And just recently, this uh, 22-month-old uh, baby girl died at her grandmother's house when she, you know, pulled out the bottom drawer and st started climbing up. And uh, the cabinet tipped over on top of her, and the, the coroner's report said, you know, death by suffocation uh, or asphyxiation, um, which, uh, that is just not good. Devastating story. I believe there have been three uh, childhood deaths by cabinets uh, this year. Um, if you're not familiar with this, you, as a custom woodworker, you should be familiar with this. Um, ASTM 2057 TAC17, which is a kind of a regulation guideline that uh, has gone through all of the Consumer Safety Product uh, Council and the other regulatory, the National Registrar, and it all passed. It, it's all complete. It will go into effect September 1st. Um, even if you do not build chest of drawers, cabinets, uh, clothing storage units, you should be aware of this. Any piece of furniture that you build that a child could climb on 
or, you know, in the event of an earthquake or something like that could fall on someone. I mean, people could die from a bookcase loaded down with uh, the works of William Shakespeare. Uh, these things need to be anchored. They need to be tied to the wall. If you install any of this type of furniture or sell this type of furniture, you need to be aware of this risk and pass this on, on to your customers. Furniture shouldn't kill anyone. So recommendations for this uh, this episode, uh, there's a link in the show notes about uh, uh, Mattel and Ruth Handler and, and all of that story. And I've also linked the uh, woodworkingnetwork.com story about uh, the toddler who, who died. Missed jobs. This is a unique one. You'll want to listen here. I was contacted by a company in Michigan, and they have this idea for building basically, you know, concealed storage uh, devices for primarily firearms, but you could certainly use that with other things. Uh, you know the type. You've probably have seen them or are familiar with them. You may make these these uh, these items. Uh, they are looking for someone to build this product to their design. No way can I do this. Just way too busy. But I asked if I could mention this on this podcast, and if any of you are interested in making these, contact me and I will pass along their contact information. So special thanks to listeners in Battleboro, Vermont, USA, and Canberra, Australia, as well as the one listener in Denmark. Be sure to check out the affiliate links, buy me a cup of coffee, to support the show. And if you have any questions, comments, be sure to get in touch with me. Uh, links in the show notes. And if you have a problem that you've been trying to work through, can't quite solve, I would love to do some coaching uh, with you and, and help you out. So until next episode. Oh, by the way, huh, sorry to throw this in at the end. I may skip the next episode in two weeks, um, August is is jam packed full of events for for myself and my family. So we might be taking some time off, and if I can get to it, I will. If I can't, be forewarned. Uh, we may not release until well, it would be a, a month or in four weeks. So until next time, happy woodworking. <laughs>